so no, Matt has not become uh, stunningly more attractive and youthful. I'm Evan. Uh, I'm uh, one of the new ministers here on staff. Uh, I'm going to be working uh, with our young adults and uh, helping out with our small groups and our discipleship uh, classes on Sunday mornings. Um, but I, I, I do want to take a moment and, and say thank you. I've met some of you very personally. I've had dinner with some of you uh, in the, the crowd. I've shook hands. I've given hugs. Um, but we have been very, very encouraged, my wife and I, um, by the warm welcome that many of you have given us. Uh, and we want to say thank you for that. So thank you for, for welcoming us. We're excited to be here. Um, this morning, though, we are going to be looking at what it means to be chosen. And chosen by God. To be chosen, though, or to be picked to be selected. In life, some are chosen and some are rejected. We know that to be true. Some are picked and, and some are left out. Some are selected and well, some are turned away. It is an honor to be chosen, to be the one picked or selected for a, a task or purpose, especially when you've worked hard, right? You've worked hard, you put in the time, and you maybe even deserve that choosing but it may be even a greater honor to be chosen when you feel as if you don't deserve it. I was greatly honored when I was chosen to be the next minister on staff here at Bethany, to serve alongside a group of other leaders and elders and ministers, deacons, and many others that are serving Christ. But the greatest honor anyone can receive is their choosing that is found in Christ. Brian Sykes is a musician and an artist, a friend of mine that I uh, met while I was in college, and he wrote a song entitled Peculiar Smile. And in that song, he, uh, he, he does a very artistic way, and he represents our choosing in Christ. So I'm going to have you guys listen to this song, and the words will be on the screen. So just take a moment and listen. saw you standing there, standing by my side, reaching out for my hand. Don't you know where I've been? The stains are deeper than the skin. Touch me anyway. Don't you know who I am? Of all sinners, I am chief. Can't you see the blood on my hands? Would you touch me anyway? this look you give me it isn't what I would expect don't you know me how could you be smiling at me say that again I thought I heard you say I love you no 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 don't you remember the scars are done
With that peculiar smile And with compassion in your voice You say I don't remember what you speak of love But I know who you are You are my beloved child And to my throne And as far as the east is from the west I love you, oh I love you No, I don't remember But would you let me wash your feet? No, I don't remember But I love you, can you see? And I remember you Yes, I remember you Oh yes, I do chosen in Christ. Now, we've all been a part of this before, a part of being chosen in something, uh, to be picked for a purpose, right? You think about it, we've, we've seen the playground scene unfold before in our lives, right? It's Jack and Jill, they're choosing to be captains of the, the next big game of ball, right? Jack chooses Justin, Jill chooses John. Why? Because well, Justin and John are the best athletes. They're the ones that are going to help you uh, lead you on to victory, or as you grow into your adolescent years and it comes to trying out for the team or the band or, or the big play, we audition, we try out, we give it our best, but in the end, the coach and the coordinator or the director of that play will have to make cuts. They'll have to choose who's going to make the team, who's going to be in the band, who's going to be in the next big production on stage or in the real world. We've probably a time or two put in an application in hopes that we would get that position that we are applying for. The boss looks over all the applications put in, and they have to choose the best person suited for that position. The chosen one is then called to fill it. Yet the harsh truth is, when it comes to the playground scene, or those adolescent years, or ultimately all things in life, we've all experienced rejection. As a parent, we want to protect our children from this, right? We don't want them to be rejected, but we have all experienced that. Rejection. But as Christ followers, as Christians, know this, you have been chosen, and chosen with a great purpose, yet chosen when you didn't deserve it one bit. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1, 4, and 5 say this, it says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. It's by grace that you've been saved. Let me put it into our language this morning. You were the kid on the playground that was awful at the sport being played. You were the band member that couldn't hold a tune. You were the applicant that did not deserve the position. 
You were dead, as Christ put it. Yet came a peculiar smile from Christ himself, and he chose us to become sons and daughters. That is what we will be looking at this morning. Our key passage for today is going to be found in 1 Peter chapter 2. If you want to grab your Bibles under your chairs, you can turn to page 981. That's where that passage can be found, 981 in your Bibles. We're going to look first at verses 9 and 10 of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. They say this, it says, but you are a, a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, God's special possessions, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not the people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If I had to sum up my first response to the very first time I read this passage, it would be, wow, 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 wow. I mean, we really think about this. The God of the universe, the one, same God that carved out the mighty mountains, the ones that, that planted the vast oceans upon this earth, the one that set the sun and the moon and the stars in their place, looks at us in the flesh and calls us chosen. Now, you must understand something. The Apostle Peter, who wrote this passage, knew what it was like to be chosen, right? Peter wasn't known as Peter in his early days. He was known as Simon, right? We, we learned that. And Simon was a fisherman. He had taken up the family business. He was a fisherman, right? And one day he's out on the lake fishing and Jesus comes to him and he calls him no longer to fish for fish, right? But to fish for men. Jesus chose him and then he gives him the name, right? He gives him the name of Peter instead of Simon, right? And, and Peter means rock, but in all honesty, Peter was not the rock that everyone would expect him to be. He lacked faith at times. He, he was constantly having what we like to call foot-in-the-mouth moments, right? He, he was thinking, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. Why did I say this? And Jesus himself said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. He said, no, I won't. I won't do that. Only to do it three times before the fateful rooster crowed. Yet once again, after his resurrection, Jesus comes to Peter. And in that state of denial, after recognizing I denied Christ three times, Jesus reinstates Peter. You know what he does in that moment? He chooses him again. He says, Peter, you're chosen. And from that moment on, Peter is the lead catalyst to the start of the very first church. And Peter wrote a letter. He wrote this letter uh, to a, a group of churches in Asia Minor. It's modern-day Turkey. And he's writing to a group of people that have probably experienced some great persecution because of their faith. And as the letter comes to us today, and as it came to them in that day, he reminds us that we are chosen. We are chosen in very four, four very important areas, as he says in verse 9. You are first his chosen people. Now, any Jew in that day would have quickly hearkened back to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 20b through 21. It says this in that passage. It says, I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people. And it says, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. We are chosen. But not only are we chosen people, we are a royal priesthood. Royal because we belong to the King of Kings. Royal because we belong to the Lord of Lords. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 through 16, it goes on to talk, talk about that. I'm just going to look at one small section of it. It says this. It says, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. It's talking about as God's people, we are called to offer sacrifices of our life, of our praise, of everything we do. 
But not only are we a chosen people, a royal priesthood, but we are also citizens of a holy nation. What's that mean? Well, it's, it's citizens of a nation much greater than any that we would ever live on in this earth. We are citizens of a nation that is set, apri- set apart in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 says, fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. We are fellow citizens with God's people. Then fourth, we learn this. We are God's special possessions. That we belong to God. Yet again, another passage that would hearken an old Jew back to the Old Testament, where it says this in Exodus 19, verse 5, it says, you will be my treasured possessions. You'll be my treasured possessions. This is the new covenant. Whether Jew or Gentile in that day, Peter is telling them anyone that would call on the name of Christ is chosen. As Romans chapter 9 verse 25 tells us, it says this, it says, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. That is the hope of Christ, that through his sacrifice on the cross, we are no longer objects of wrath, but instead now chosen. Yet as in life, when you are chosen, you are chosen with a purpose. Listen once again to our main text found in verse 9, it says this, It says, but you are a chosen people, right? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possessions. And here it comes. It says that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Did you hear it? Yes, royal. Yes, uh, chosen. Yes, holy. Yes, special. But with the purpose to bring praise to him, or as our series that we are in right now is entitled, to see Christ high and lifted up. You see, it's because of your chosen nature that you now have the purpose to have Christ high and lifted up in your life. But as Christ followers, as Christians, what exactly does that look like in today's world? How can we lift him high? How do you declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into your choosing? What does it mean? What does it mean to be chosen in Christ? That's what we need to dig into this morning. To be, to be chosen means what? And Peter knew. He knew what it was like, right? He had been chosen, and he gives us a guideline to that found in our passage for today, First Peter chapter 2. But before we go any further, I'd like to ask you to bow your heads, and we're just going to open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. God, um, we come to you right now, and uh, in the study of your word, and God, as we dig into this message this morning, as we, we learn what it means to be chosen people, to see you high and lifted up in our life. God, I pray that you would reveal truth to us this morning. God, may we learn and grow, and may we take this with us as we walk out into our lives the rest of this week. May we understand every day that we are chosen in you. God, we love you so much, and we praise you, and we say all this in your son's name. Amen. So there are three truths I believe Peter presents to us. The first is this, that as chosen people, we are called to be pure, to be pure or to abstain from sin. As Peter makes that bold statement, calling the people whom he writes to their chosen state, as the word comes flooding into our lives today, when the powerful promise of being Christ's royal priesthood, that holy nation, special possessions, chosen people, Peter doesn't leave the journey there. He goes on, the NIV actually entitles the next section of Scripture, it says, living godly lives in a pagan society. 
what Peter is telling us is that our chosen nature now causes us to live lives differently, right? And the first truth he represents is this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which war against your soul. Now, when I was six years old, I was like any other six-year-old boy. I was curious. And, and curiosity often got the best of me. Um, I remember a circumstance uh, one time, I remember it very vividly actually, I walked out into the garage and my dad was working on our old custom Chevy van. It was one of those vans like Mr. T drove, you know, in the A-Team, right? Uh, or, or, you know, Scooby-Doo's uh, mystery machine, right? But, so it was one of these old, old vans and dad had bought it, it was ugly, ugly blue colored van uh, and it had a big dent in the, in the bumper, uh, and back then you could heat a bumper up and knock the dent out. We can't do that nowadays. We'd melt the bumper if we heated it up, right? Uh, so, so dad was out in the garage heating this bumper out. He was about ready to pound out a dent when I walked out into the garage. And I was looking around, and he said something very clear. He said, do not get by the bumper, all right? Don't get over by the van, all right? Just leave it alone, Evan. Um, you know, circle with a red line through it. But as any young, curious boy would do, I kind of walked around and acted like I wasn't going to get by it. But there it sat, cherry red bumper, ready to be, this dent to be pounded out of it. And what did I do? I walked over and I touched it. I touched that bumper and I had a blister on every pad of my fingers and a big old blister on my palm. And I remember soaking my hand down in an ice bath that whole evening and having to wrap it up for weeks afterwards. If curiosity had, had gotten the best of me. Sin likes to work on us like this. It looks attractive, as did a cherry red bumper to a six-year-old boy. It looks attractive, but it tears us apart. Jesus is recorded saying that the thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Sin will bring happiness. That's the lie that we've been fed from our society. Because the truth is, sin will bring death. And that's why we are called to abstain from sin as His chosen people. When it comes to Christ, we must turn away from our sin. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 says it like this. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. Now, some of you have read this. This, is, this can be scary. And there's context there, and we, we could talk about more. There's importance in the fact that it's deliberately and keep on. Yes, you're going to make mistakes as a follower of Christ. Yes, you're going to have to come to the feet of Jesus and ask for repentance once again. But we are called to strive to rid ourselves of sin as Christians, as Christ followers, to abstain from it. Or as the Apostle Paul put it so very well, I love how he says this in Colossians 3, verse 5. He says this, put to death. Put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, whether it's sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. My grandfather, my mom's dad, used to always say, absence makes the heart grow fonder. I think he said that um, to, uh, specifically to uh, boys and girls when they were dating, my mom and, her, and my dad, uh, because he was saying, you need to spend time apart from each other because it makes you grow fonder of each other. But when it comes to sin, absence from sin makes the heart grow fonder of Jesus as sin clouds our vision. That's why in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22, it says this. It says, reject every kind of evil. Reject it. You see, we can no longer live to gratify the cravings of our sinful nature. 
Now, it will be a battle, but it is a battle that is worth the fight. And we must strive to seek out purity, to honor our chosen nature, and more powerfully, to honor the, cho- the God that has chosen us. For when we do that, that is when we truly experience life. And as the scripture says, life and life to the fullest. In 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul writes um, to his young son in the faith. He tells him uh, of all these things and he's encouraging him. As he gets to the end of the letter, he says this in verse 12 of chapter 6. But you, man of God, flee from all of this. He's talking of sin. He's talking of the evil. Flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We are called to be pure. But second, we learn this. Not only are we called to be pure, but we are also called to be good or to live good lives. Now that is the truth. Not only called to abstain from sin, but called to live good lives, to live lives that bring honor to God. Yet for some reason or another, we have gotten off in our society today on this one. Right? We think as Christians that this, is, this title of Christian is just a, uh, it just saves us from eternal damnation in a way, right? Tom Watson, one of the other ministers here on staff, Tom and I get to share an office right now, and so we get to talk a lot. And Tom gave me this little snippet um, this week uh, as we were talking, and uh, he said this, and it, it just made sense, and I thought, it, I thought it matched real well with what we were talking about this morning. He said, Evan, he said, you know what? There are often times in life that many people want to make Jesus their Savior, but they're not willing to make Jesus their Lord, Right? There are many people in life that want to make Jesus their Savior, but not have Jesus as their Lord. You see, when we place Jesus as the Lord in our lives, we are challenged not only to come to Christ in repentance and for salvation, but we are also promising Him that we will do everything we can to honor Him, to live good lives. 1 Peter goes on, it says this in verse 12. It says, Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. It goes on then to say this in verse 15. It says, For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Now when I think of being chosen, I, I am reminded of the movie Toy Story. You think, oh goodness, what's he going here? All right, Pixar's movie Toy Story. And, and this, there's a scene in Toy Story where Buzz and Woody are, are caught in an arcade. And they go into the arcade and they find themselves in the claw machine, right? And there's all these little green alien men. You probably remember the scene, hopefully, if you've seen the movie. And, and they're in there and Buzz is trying to make peace with them. He says, who is your leader? And they say, the claw is. The claw decides who will stay and who will go. In a sense, they're saying the, the claw is their God. Now bear with me on this. As the scene unfolds, Buzz and Woody hide underneath the, the, these, all these little green guys, and the claw comes down and he grabs one of them. And as the green man ascends into the heavens of the claw machine, he says this. He says, I have been chosen. Farewell, my friends. I go on to a better place. I think we can learn something from this cartoon. You see, I think, like the little green men, when we are chosen, not by a claw machine, but by the Heavenly Father, that we too should be able to say, farewell, my friends, I go on to a better place. I am going to live a good life. What if we daily awoke recognizing that we had been chosen to go on to better places? A place in which we live such good lives that others could not help but see our good lives and come to know Christ themselves. That's what Peter is calling the people to do. 
that your living of a good life will draw others into Jesus. Or as Amos chapter 5, verses 14 through 15a say, it says, seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as he says he is. Hate evil, love good. Hate evil and love good. You see, the gospel is not the law. The gospel is grace, right? The good news of Jesus Christ. The law was fulfilled in Christ, as the Apostle Paul says. So we need not look at the journey ahead of us as a book of of rules, but instead as a life that we can live to do good. The church I came from, I I was leading our youth group. And oftentimes, uh, the youth would, would ask me a question. It was kind of a standard question that was often asked. It was, how far is too far, Evan? How far is too far, right? And at the root of that question is the wrong mentality, right? It's how close can I get to sin before it's actually sin? And truly, we should be asking the question, how close can I get to the Lord? How much more can I bring honor to Him, right? We need to turn that question around and think about what we can do to bring honor to Him. How can we live good lives? The challenge is great. The reward, greater. Live such good lives so that the pagans would see you and that they too would come to glorify God. Peter says it like this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, the chapter ahead of what we're looking at. It says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. Which is really just an echoing of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, which are scary. Matthew 5, verse 48, be perfect, therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's a challenge. And that's a challenge that, sh- that should scare us in some sense, but it should also remind us of our salvation that is found in our Savior. But not only is He our Savior, He must be our Lord. And we must strive to live good lives that bring honor to Him. So that's the second point. To be pure and to be good. But third, we learn this, we should be free. That we need to be free and free in Christ. The passage ends, we're looking at today, in verses 16 and 17, it says this, Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Now that could be confusing. Live free, but live as slaves. Chuck Swindoll, who is a, a pastor and author, wrote this, He said, having been raised in the South for most of my younger years, it was a long time, believe it or not, before I really believed the South had lost the war. I know that seems unbelievable for people from the North, but it's true. I remember distinctly the day it dawned on me. I was in American history class my junior year of high school, and I finally faced the fact that we had lost. Under the prejudice of my ways that I had been raised, I had always felt like we just ran out of supplies or time. But the truth was we had lost the battle. The Union had won their freedom. Now, as a result of this kind of prejudice training, I had in my mind the feeling of those Union troops that they had to be some of the worst rascals on earth until I began to discover through the fact of literature and and such that this was not the case. They hated war, just like anyone else would. As a matter of fact, it was General William Sherman who shortly after the invasion of Atlanta and faced with the assault of the city government wrote these words. He said, war is cruel. And you cannot refine it. He said, I'm tired and sick of war. It's only those who have neither fired a shot nor heard the shrieks of the groans of the wounded who cry aloud for more blood, more vengeance, more desolation. Sherman says, war, war is hell. Now that statement made in 1864, both on and off the military battlefield, however, is true, right? 
Sometimes, though, fighting can be necessary, specifically for freedom, because freedom comes with a cost. The cost of your freedom was the life of a perfect sacrifice found in Christ. Yet we are told a battle still rages on. A battle, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6, is a battle that's not against flesh and blood, right? The battle that is against the rulers and the powers and the authorities of this dark world. A battle that really is no longer about sin, but instead is about lives. How many lives can it take? Your life, every life on this earth. A battle that, ta- that is taking away the freedom of the life that is given in Christ. You see, we are called to be free in Christ. John chapter 8, verse 36 says, So if the Son, if the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. The Son has set us free. Yet the devil will do anything to drag us away from that freedom by placing the sins of the world at our fingertip, by trapping us, trapping us in these things and, and tempting us to make these things our Lord and Master. Please hear this deep truth this morning. A war rages on for God's prized creation, for life. For you, a daily battle is waging in a world full of darkness, full of sins that says, do what feels good, right? From the lust of the flesh, like homosexual desires, to pornography, to extramarital affairs, to gluttony and more, to the desire of greed, like more possessions, more money, more of this or that. That's what's going to bring me happiness to the power of pride that says, I'm always right. I'm never wrong. Don't judge me, right? Yet, as Christians, when we come into the church, we are then given the accountability to hold each other accountable. That's, that's true. The Word would tell us that we need to hold each other accountable, which causes us to get rid of that pride and to humbly present ourselves in front of others in the church to be held accountable. A war truly does rage on in this world, but you are called to freedom in Christ, yet called to be his slave. Luke 9, verse 23 says it like this, whoever wants to be my disciple, well, they'll deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That was a scary saying. And Jesus said that before he ever went to the cross, right? So people would have been scared to hear this. Take up your cross and follow me. Live freely in Christ, but don't live freely in sin. Galatians 5, verse 13a says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Be free in Christ, but not in sin. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possessions, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You were chosen, though, for a purpose. Christ loved you, yes, You are chosen, yes. But ultimately, Christ wants all to come to that same knowledge of their chosen nature. God so loved you, yes, but He also loved the person beside you, your next-door neighbor, the one who cut you off on the way to church this morning and the person who cursed you out yesterday. He loves them all. David Platt wrote this in his book, Follow Me. It's an excellent read. He says this, When you actually believe Jesus' words and realize Jesus' worth, then you understand that his aim is not simply to be your personal Lord and Savior, and that his death on the cross did not revolve around you alone. Christians sometimes say, when Jesus died on the cross, he died just for me. Without question, that, that is true here, but for Jesus, Jesus 
personally did die for you and me, but we must not stop there. According to Jesus' own words, he died so that the repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name to all nations. Far beyond just dying for you and me, Jesus was dying to purchase people from God, for God, from every tribe and, and language and people and nation. Disciples of Jesus know that he is not merely our personal Lord and Savior, worthy of some individual approval. Disciples of Jesus know that He is our cosmic Lord and Savior, worthy of everyone's eternal praise. You see, it's because of your choosing that we now have the purpose to have Christ high and lifted up in our life, to share the gospel. You are chosen, chosen to be His. If you've never accepted that truth, this morning we're going to offer a time, an uh, invitation song. And I encourage you, uh, if you have a decision to make, to submit to your choosing. To come and see myself or one of our other leaders will be over here to the right. Um, and I encourage you to submit to your Lord. Now, if you are one of those who have already submitted, who have already known this truth, don't forget why you were chosen. You were chosen to be pure. You were chosen to be good. You were chosen to be free. And ultimately, you were chosen to be his.